Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. In the beginning of the Bad Roman Project, we had a set of ideas that we would focus on. But as the project moved forward, we realized very quickly that while the majority of folks who follow along with us are in lockstep with most of what we talk about, there are some who are hesitant to fully come on board, and today's episode is for them. Today's guest is Justin Cornett, who is the president of For All Tennessee. First, I want to introduce Abby as my official new co-host. She is the, this is her first episode, is officially as my co-host. Abby, how are you doing? Hello, I am good and happy to be here. I am happy you're here as well. This is going to be fun. So like I've, I've been telling people and you a lot lately that people want to hear more Abby and less Craig. So they're going to get to hear Abby a lot more these days as we move forward with this project. Justin Cornett joins us. How are you doing, my friend? Doing well, sir. Thank you for asking. So how I got introduced to you was uh, Josiah Baker, who listened to our podcast, reached out to me after, I think, hearing me on or hearing my episode with Pete Quinones. He can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's how he, he first came in contact with the Bad Roman podcast. And apparently he's been uh, instrumental in getting you on some other shows like the Scott Horton show which is a big deal to me because I'm a huge fan of Scott Horton. I think Abby is as well. And just just that fact, I was like, all right, I'm going to give this guy a listen. And we got in touch with each other and we met up. You you decided to drive to Memphis. Yeah, I'm, at, I'm just a, I'm on the other side of Nashville. You, you drove all the way down here and met with me and, and three other guys who were part of the Libertarian Party in some fashion with in Tennessee. And we – we ate it up, man. We met at the one guy's restaurant here in Memphis, and he cooked for us. It was some good grub, man. That was it was a good conversation as well. Michael's a good dude. Yeah, he's he's pretty funny, and it was it was the conversation was pretty lively because like it was we got into like the vaccine stuff and what was it was right after Biden's so called proclamation, you know Biden's right so called press re- what it was is a press release. It wasn't really a mandate. It was nothing. It was just he just said some words, and then employers just latched onto it like it was a like it was law, right? And we, it was right after that when we, when we had this meeting, and it was it was a fun conversation because I'm like, I'm not putting that garbage in my arm. I'm not doing it. They'll, they'll have to fire me. If they, I mean, if it becomes a thing where they start forcing us to do it, fire me. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm one that typically believes that good ideas don't require force. Um, (laughs) So, you know, there are people that make bad choices all the time, but uh, I think it's a bad idea to criminalize bad decision making. Well, it doesn't make any sense in the grand scheme of things. Have you ever seen, and maybe I'm just naive to it, but have you ever seen like when the flu shots given every year? Have you ever seen the propaganda behind the flu shot like we've seen with the COVID shot? Have you ever seen the, the employers try to push this stuff like the, and try to bribe people to do it? I mean, I, 
Maybe I just haven't noticed it. No, nah, but the flu shot's not been a political football either. You know, I, 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 I tend to be one that has holds out a little bit of hope for humanity. And I don't think the goal of the people that want everybody to take the vaccine is to treat the rest of the country like doormats. I think that they genuinely think that that the vaccine makes people safer. But again, force is a bad thing and uh, choice is a good thing. And uh, it's a, it's, it's, very bad idea to mandate something like that and take away the, I mean, I'm somebody that doesn't take aspirin if I get a headache, you know, I, 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 I just, I don't want to put stuff in my body if I don't have to, I drink mostly water. I eat a lot of bacon. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> you know, generally speaking, I try to, I try to keep stuff out of my body that shouldn't be there in a natural environment. Same. Like I, I literally make my own deodorant. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> like cautious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's just a bad topic, you know? I mean, cause there, there's always that question, you know, if, uh, I mean, you've seen the movie 28 days, granted, this is not that, but you know, if it were, it's, it's just a fine line. It's a horrible question. It's one of those backs up against the wall paradoxes. What do you actually do in the moment kind of thing if you're in that position of leadership? And I don't envy anybody that has to contemplate those decisions at all. Well, and I tell, I've been saying this a lot lately too. If, if they would have just let people decide on their own, more people probably would have taken this shot. I agree. And um, I think that uh, there's been a lot of, for lack of a better way of saying it, boy who cried wolfness from both sides uh, on this whole pandemic issue and all of its facets. So the initial overreactions we had as a society might be part of a cause of an underreaction um, later on kind of thing. Well, you've been very beneficial to me, especially with your connections to the Tennessee legislature because prior to Tennessee outlawing the required vaccine, this was coming up at work. You you connected me with a couple of the, uh, I don't know their senators or, or congressmen, the guy here that represents Fayette County. I got in touch with him and then I got in touch with uh, another guy. I think he's out of, maybe he's out of Knoxville was Zachary. Is that his name? Got in touch with his, with his office too. And they were getting ready to, to pass this legislation. And once it was passed, it was held as one of the most comprehensive COVID laws across the nation. Like you see uh, Texas and Florida, like the governors are executive ordering this stuff. They're not actually making a law. It's the same thing that Biden did. Come on. But this is a law. This is a Tennessee law. And so it, it kind of gives it more teeth when it comes to dealing with your employer. And people come to me and ask me questions. I've been very vocal about this from the very beginning. When it first started, what is it, March 2020, February 2020, when all this was starting to start, I was like, hold on a second. Wait a second. Why are we getting freaked out about this? You know, people die every year of the flu. Okay. What, what are we getting so upset about? Hold on. And then it just steamrolled through. And now we're here now, and people are losing their jobs. People are being forced to choose between their, their employment their livelihood 
this is this is insanity. But there's been, like I said, when Tennessee passed that law, I was like, so I could tell these folks at work when they come to me and ask me these questions, like, Tennessee just outlawed this. They can't do that here. They can't do it. And I was talking to the HR lady the other day because I, I filed for a uh, religious exemption. And then they, they made me fill out more paperwork. And at some point, it's, it's harassment. I told her, I said, you know, Tennessee outlawed this. because well, they didn't really. I was like, yes, they really did. The governor signed it. And I'm not one as an anarchist. I'm not one to follow the state and hopeful the state to fix things. But it's the situation we live in right now. It is what it is. So we have to, you have to meet people. Where, and that's what we're doing with the show today is we got to meet people where they're at. And people don't understand maybe Abby and I as anarchists, but they understand that there's still a system in place that is there. It's reality. It's not something we agree with, but it's there. Right. Two things. Um, you're 100% right. The world exists as it exists. And if you try to pretend that it doesn't or that it would be, you know, you live in a world where there's a better way for the world to operate and it should work that way, but it doesn't operate that way. And you try to operate, you know, contrary to the way the world actually works it's not going to work out well for you. There are rules on the playing field as it exists now. And you have to acknowledge the circumstances on the ground and address those in a way that allows you to get your stuff out. That for one. And number two, you're the second person today that said you got to meet people where they're at. Uh, Second person that said that to me today. And the first person was talking about a conversation I had on social media with another person who thought they opposed something that we were looking at, and it turned out that they didn't. And um, my response to him saying we have to meet them where where they are was that we also have to be patient enough to figure out where they are so that we can meet them there. Because I argued back and forth with this person trying to clarify what the policy direction of this particular post was. And um, she argued against me on it for a minute and then said, the only thing I would do is exactly what the post says. Uh, and then laid it out exactly what the post said. It was, it was funny, but nonetheless, after all that, she ended up going to our page and finding multiple other issues that she liked and commented on our stuff. And, uh, I, it looks like we may have uh, made a friend out of that, even though it was somebody that really hated me with the first couple of comments on social media. So, well, that meet people where they're at is something that I learned from Abby. Abby taught me that very on, very early on with this project, and it's something I appreciate because Abby knows how headstrong I am and how stubborn I am and how this is this it is what it is, and this is this is what we're gonna do. And Abby's like. Slow your roll, Craig. Mm. And she's and she's been she's been very helpful for me in that aspect of like, hang on a second. Right. Meet them where they're at because they're not they're not understanding what you're saying yet. And just like you said, we got to be patient. They'll get there. But if you start trying to bully them with it and start trying to be headstrong about it, man, people are gonna turn around and run. That's not how this works, you know. And it, it's something we we learned from watching how Jesus behaved. He didn't bully people. Abide these three, love, hope, and patience. I mean, and and that's seriously, if we're not using those tools to try to 
fix the problems in our society, we're not going to fix the problems in our society. It's really as simple as that. I'm not one to try to work through the state to get anything done, but I am thankful for folks like you that <laughs> want to spend your time doing that because it's exhausting to me, man. I did that for a long time. You know, I was, I was, I was probably days within running for state house in Arkansas before I got this new job in, in, in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Thank God for this new job in Tennessee because I'd have been mixed up with the mafia. The Arkansas legislature is one of the worst in the country. You know, I don't know how Tennessee involves. The only thing I know about the Tennessee legislature, what I've learned from you. <laughs> well, uh, I, I would still be considered a novice by uh, anybody that was being honest uh, about my time on the Hill. Um, I, so, yeah, I, I know what I don't know. And uh, I, if I don't know, I might know some people that do know, and I'll shoot you over that way. There you go. Hey folks, Craig here, and I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman, and would like to try your hand at writing, and send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. Why don't we take a step back, and can you like just describe for all Tennessee and what you guys do and how you function and how you got involved? So I started it, um, and that's how I got involved. I dropped... Uh, most of my terribly inadequate life savings in it. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what's been sustaining us for this year as we try to build the things that we need to have in place in order to really try to scale the operation. So the organization came about because I was doing a lot of volunteer lobbying stuff for uh, different causes and things. And I thought, man, it'd be nice to be able to go and spend, you know, four days a week on the Hill and uh, 60 hours a week talking to legislators and stuff like that. It'd be really nice if I could get a small paycheck that would sustain me out of that. (laughs) So, so I thought, well, I mean, I could start some sort of an organization or something. Uh, It's like, you know, I could be centered around this one particular policy that I might be able to draw some money in off of. And then I was like, but if I was going to start an organization, why wouldn't I do additional policies? Because that would give us more ability to draw more money in. And then I was like, if I'm going to do a lot of policies, why not just let the people that, sustain the organization, pick the policies that we do. So that's kind of what we started aiming for. And my partner on this, um, his name's Josh Eckel. He is actually director for marketing for Students for Liberty. Um, but he refers to what we've done as the democratization of a 501c4. And what we do or what we have done this year, for example, and what we will do next year is we've identified, like I say, 30 something items that fit in the wheelhouse that, you know, where 
we're putting out there as information and asking people, do you think this is important? Would you like to see us work a piece of legislation on this? And we're doing that daily with new issues until just four sessions starts with the goal trying to be to bring some knowledge to people on some of these more obscure issues that they may or may not realize are bigger than they think. And then just before session starts, everybody that sustains the organization, five bucks a month, 60 bucks in a year, but makes you a member. Everybody that gives us five bucks a month gets to vote. And whatever the members vote on becomes the core of the agenda list. And from there, we're trying to get bills filed. We're trying to make sure we've got sponsors and all that stuff, make sure the issues are viable. And, you know, we go to work. Uh, So in addition to the members of the organization actually holding the steering wheel, which is something that no other organization out there does, unless you count like the Koch brothers steering their own organizations. But we take all of our issues uh, and we separate them. So if you catch wind that we are working an issue that's really important to you, civil asset forfeiture, super important to you, um, but you could care less about anything else that we are doing. You could throw money at just civil asset forfeiture, and that money would go toward just civil asset forfeiture policy. That would buy mailers, that would buy additional resources to lobby, uh, whatever we need in order to try to get that done. So you have the flexibility to make sure that your money goes to whatever policies that you want it to go to, and that it doesn't go to things that you don't want it to go to. You know, the last thing that I think is really different about us, I've already touched on, but we don't do elections. No dollars that we bring in go to um, representatives, even as campaign contributions. No money that we bring in goes to legislators. Um so uh, we, we're not going to tell people to vote against people that disagree with us. We're not going to tell people to vote for people that do agree with us. We're going to tell people what they say and let them make their own decisions. And it's just necessary information that the public needs to have in order to make good decisions about the people that represent them. And an ability through us and through different uh, ways to hold them accountable uh, that are easy for anybody to engage in. That makes sense. I like that a lot. And so what I guess are the strategies you guys use? You mentioned mailers and lobbying. Yeah. I mean, it's really just going to depend on the issue and, um, you know, the resources that we have, all those different things. Um, but you know, all the things are open. I mean, call banks, mailers, um, targeted ad campaigns, uh, Heck, door knocking in a district. I mean, everything's on the table, but it's all going to be circumstantial and based on what resources we have for sure. Okay. And I, I'm probably not alone in this, but I have almost like a visceral reaction to the word lobbyist. It's just like, ugh, the, they're like right. the scum no. of the earth, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're definitely not alone. <laughs> so maybe explain a little bit about lobbying. And, and I guess the scum of the earth people are probably like, countering what you're trying to do, I would imagine? Uh, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I mean, again, the American idea is self-governance through elected representatives. How can you have self-governance if the people can't 
ask their representative to do certain things. I mean, and that's what lobbying is. So at, at the core of the American idea, lobbying is a thing that has to happen. The problem is in today's politics, lobbying buys companies benefits from government. So yeah, a lot of them are working toward ends that we would not f- support, um, but they're still engaging in something that is at the core of American politics. The problem is the politicians are willing to give them st- the, the stuff that they ask for. So one thing I really appreciate about your organization is the fact that you are not beholden to a political party. You know, a lot of the folks that follow this this podcast are come from a libertarian background. You know, mm-hmm. some are coming from the Republican side. I don't know many, maybe a couple, you know, from the left. But when we met for that for that lunch in Memphis, and there was a guy there, we went with the uh, the vice chair of the Tennessee Libertarian Party, uh, the Shelby County chair, and the Shelby County vice chair. I'm not going to name them because I can't remember the names anyway. I'm terrible with names, but the the vice chair of Shelby County, he thought I think he thought it was it was a libertarian meeting. We're going to try and get more recruits for the libertarian party. He's like, well, how do we get more people into the libertarian party? And you said that's your thing. And when you said that, I was like, all right, we can do this because I want to talk about this because I don't want to promote a libertarian party, Republican party, Democrat party. I want to talk about individuals and what they care about. And I think that's what y'all are doing. If Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what y'all are doing with uh, For All Tennessee. I think you're 100% right. Um, I, I've come to the realization that just like you don't fix govern, what, what government broke with more government, you can't really fix what the parties have broken with more parties because the problem is inherent in the parties. And if anybody is any kind of student of history and has read George Washington's farewell address, he dedicates about a thousand words in the, in the address to the perils of political parties, consolidating power and uh, whipping the, the public up into frenzies over particular issues and encouraging them to ignore other things. I mean, it's, if you read it, it reads like George Washington was Nostradamus and, Everything he's saying is a hundred percent true. It's it's like a textbook, but you know the noble experiment of American government was to have a people that self governed through representatives. Okay, that is the American idea in a nutshell. But what we have currently is two private organizations that choose the people that we get to see on our ballots and then we get to hold our nose and vote for the one that we think is the le- the least bad that's the world that we live in so we're not a self-governing nation we everything has to go through gatekeepers and the only way to put us back on track to being a self-governing nation is to find a way to accomplish the business of government without having to have the blessings of those two private entities. And the only way you can do that is by getting the community together to lean on their representatives. So that is our goal. 
we are out there trying to find policy that the majority of people in every single district agree on so that when we say we need your representative to go this way, they are more than happy to say, this makes sense. I don't know why you would oppose it. You should support it. And, you know, whatever that person does is then going to follow them to the ballot box. And hopefully over time, we can change the mindset of the public uh, to a point where, I mean, think about the policy that we're looking at doing. Uh, We're empowering people and limiting government. By empowering people, you are encouraging people to act on their own free will, which is a gift that we were all given from God. Okay, Um, that is something that we should all do and something that we should all encourage is the empowerment of people. And the other thing that we do is limit government and government is the entity that we all put our faith in. That is not who we should be putting our faith in. Uh, we should be putting our faith in God and building our relationships around us and in our community and trying to make our world a better place as a close-knit group of individuals. I mean, that's the idea. So maybe we can train people by using politics to think about these things and uh, that kind of get the hearts going in the right direction, making the minds easier to take with us. Hey folks, Craig here again. As you know, this project is completely self-funded by me and all profits go straight to charities here in Memphis. That being said, I'm happy to introduce our first sponsor, helping us keep the lights on, Blockchain Trading Company. Blockchain Trading Company, purveyors of fine digital assets since 2021. Blockchain Trading Company aims to be the leading decentralized autonomous organization in decentralized finance by establishing ourselves in company with one another as purveyors of fine digital assets. Join our primary community in Discord where our ever-growing arsenal of tools are readily available to equip you in the brave new world of all things blockchain. See you in the metaverse. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the show. What y'all are doing with, with For All Tennessee, is it effective? Have you seen any change in the state house, the state senate? Have, have you seen any change with y'all's work? We've only been through one session at this point. Um, so we've, as an organization, we've spent three months with the legislators. Uh, and those are, you know, a handful of 15-minute meetings. So no, not yet. But that culture isn't going to change with the politicians, that culture has to change in the districts through the constituents. This organization doesn't care what the name is that's sitting in a seat or what the letter that is next to that person's name is. All we care about is whether or not you want to protect people from having their house, which is in perfect condition being taken by the government because they can sell it to somebody that will get them more property tax dollars. That's it. That's all you, that's all you have to be. And if you are great, we're going to tell everybody that you're on board with us. And if you're not fine, we're going to tell everybody that you're not on board with us. And it's really as simple as that. Your constituents are going to uh, respond to you and we're just going to make sure that they have the information. So we're again, 
We don't care anything about personalities. We don't care anything about parties. We have one principle that is to get policy done that empowers people and limits government, doesn't do it on the backs of taxpayers. And whatever we can accomplish in that space is a good thing. There are thousands of different things that we could do in that space. And I legitimately do not care which ones we do. Whatever the public wants us to do that fits in that space, that's what we want to do. This whole thing is, is, is fascinating to me because even as an anarchist, and I always go back to this, still the workings of the government is, is interesting to me to watch. And I'm not talking about what we see on Fox News or CNN, but what goes on behind the scenes, the, the stuff we're not seeing, because if it works the way it was set up as like the founders set it up, okay, and you can have any opinion you want on on the Constitution or the founders, and, and I get it. I'll, I'll agree with you probably most of the time. But the way it was set up, it was a, it was a, it was an experiment. It was almost like an experiment to see how this would work. And now we see what it, what that experiment has turned into. It's completely corrupted. And, and I don't know, I, I say this a lot too, the founders are probably rolling around in their graves right now. And I'm not one as that would advocate for a war, a revolutionary war. It's not something I would push for. But I, 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 I'm pretty adamant about this. If they were alive today, like Patrick Henry, you know, the, especially the Anti-Federalists, if they were alive today, they would be gearing up for a war. What, what this experiment has turned into is far worse than what they were ex- experiencing then. I, I, I don't know what the first president you would run into uh, that would not have a problem with the federal budget being more than all of the state budgets combined. Uh, I, I would think that that would be one of those things that would be an under unesti- uh, underestimated way to look at it, that the founders would look at that, is the states, most of the governance should happen at the state level. Therefore, most of the spending on governance should happen at the state level, not at the federal level. And I would I, I don't know what the numbers are, but I would be willing to bet that the Fed spends three times what the states do combined right now. And uh, I mean, that's not at all how this country was intended to be. Not at all. Not at all. And, and, and you hear a lot of people talking about localism and getting back to your community and, and starting right. there. And I, I appreciate right. that. I, I, I appreciate it. And when you look at how the, the, the country was founded, you walk up to your average person and talk to them about state law versus federal law. And they're going to immediately jump to the fact that they or that they believe that federal law supersedes state law. And that's not how this country was founded. Right. The states created the federal government, which means no, the, the states, creator is right. bigger than the created I heard Chris Ann Hall say that one time, and it made so much sense. All right, so if the creator, the, the states created the federal government, that means they have more power than the federal government. But you talk to your average person today, they don't know that. I don't. I can't tell you how many times I've ran into people, especially with this COVID issue, and they're like, "Well, the federal government." I, was like, I don't care what the federal government says. Right. I want to know what your state, what your state is saying, because what Supremacy they are saying. Code. And that was a whole reason for the Tenth Amendment. If it's not specifically outlined in the Constitution, then the federal government has not, right. not had the authority to pass a law on any of it. It's unconstitutional. And that's why, if, if, but the states do. And 
that's where we should be at. Unfortunately, the way the place that we actually are is that we pass laws that supersede constitutional law on a regular basis. And uh, we've got stuff on the books that have done that for over a hundred years, over a hundred years. Um, we, we've had laws on the books that superseded the constitution and um, they're there. Are you talking state or federal? Federal. Or both? Probably both, but definitely federal. I mean, think War Powers Act, Federal Reserve, um, you know, a, the... Uh, federal immigration laws, federal drug laws. They're like, the list goes on and on and on of how useless the Constitution is, basically. The War Powers Act drives me crazy because when, when you talk about these wars that we've been involved with, there's been no authority for war from Congress. Well, the War Powers Act, I don't give a crap about the War Powers Act because that act is unconstitutional. That act is not super. You cannot change the Constitution with an act. You want to go and change the Constitution? But you cannot give a crap about it all day long. It's still upheld currently by all the people that act in our government as law of the land. So, right. What do you do? Well, you know, that stuff you sent me, you sent me earlier in that conversation with that person you had. And, <laughs> it looked like this, the same conversation I have with so many people, but it's the law. I love that argument because these same people can think of dozens of laws that they think shouldn't be on the books. Dozens of them. Uh, but they pretend that because somebody else did it, it's a, 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 they're a criminal. I mean, it's the, the hypocrisy overflows in this country. The, the, idea that we are supposed to love our neighbor, yet somehow um, we get so much satisfaction out of locking them away and throwing away the key over an offense that did nothing to anyone else, you know, and, and ruining their life and making sure that they are they struggle with their kids, that they struggle with to get jobs, that they struggle to get housing, and that they remain on the government teat. I mean, that's that's all we're doing is putting people on the government dole. That's all we do. It's so disappointing. I mean, <laughs> it's so disappointing. You know, the the whole the the whole the way the state acts, the way the government acts, it's it's I don't know. I, I don't know where you're at right now. I know where Abby is, I know where I'm at, but when I look at that through the lens I see now as an anarchist, I'm looking at it and thinking, you know, I used to be that person. Yeah. I used to be that person that would champion uh, the death penalty. Yeah. You know, and I, I would be that person that would champion uh, locking people away for violating a drug law. Did that person taking that drug harm you? <laughs> no. Did that person buying that drug harm you? Why does it bother you so much? And But I was that guy. I've had to repent of a lot, <laughs> a lot of things from my from my past understanding. And if you if you'd have met me ten years ago, you <laughs> we probably been in the same boat. Here's the reality of politics uh, and God and Justin's humble mind. Okay, politics is just how people interact with people. That's all it is. It, it, it is legitimately nothing else. Every interaction with another person is politics in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Okay. If you have a society that is full of people that are 
just horrible people. They're selfish. They don't care about anything except for themselves or maybe their immediate circle and uh, their own entertainment. Rest of the world, who cares about those people? Uh, And we'll walk on those people to get what we want. I mean, if that's the kind of people that you have in your society, it legitimately does not matter what form of government you have or what the rules are. Your government and your culture is going to fail because it is full of people that are garbage human beings. Just the reality of it. The opposite, though, if you have a society where people truly care what happens to their neighbor and true people truly respect this the planet that and the resources that they've been given to use to try to improve their lives, you don't need the rules or the system of government. So what we need to be pushing for is a combination of the right kind of attitude and mindset in our culture combined with the least amount of restrictions on our freedom. And that's that's really all it is. And at some point, any luck, we can get it right and make it back to the Garden of Eden, which will never happen because I read the book and I know how it turns <laughs> out. But it should be the goal. <laughs> I mean, that, that should be the goal. Well, I mean, if you're working towards that goal, it's it's different because because along the way you're making things better. Better. If you're yes. working towards that that end to love your neighbor as you love yourself, that's it. even love your enemy. I mean, that's what we're instructed to do as Christians. We aren't stocking up treasure in this world, and we all seem to forget that. Everybody seems to put so much emphasis on everything that happens in this world. And when anything doesn't go right in this world, it's the end of everything. Oh, my God, I expect everything in this world to go to crap, and I can't wait to get out of it and get to a better place. You know what I mean? (laughs) Why aren't we just, I mean, let's be real here. Let's make the best out of what we've got here. And let's not pretend that this is where it ends. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode, the first 15 folks to sign up for four ad spots with us will get a fifth spot for free. You can also support our mission by donating on our site. I'm so happy how this project has grown and thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the conversation. Abby has some some questions about something y'all had worked on in Tennessee. And I think this these are these are very important questions. And I think they're it's a it's a very fantastic uh conversation to have as far as uh the police go. Yeah. Well I just wanna I know I've heard you talk about on other podcasts of the success you've had um with limiting police powers, like getting rid of no knock raids and um I think you're working on ending qualified immunity, but maybe haven't gotten there yet, but have, have had some success with other stuff. So I was hoping you could talk about that a little bit. Well, on qualified immunity, let me start there. Uh, and again, we don't get to do anything that the members don't want us to do. So it's on the list and it is something that we're putting out in front of people and asking them if, them if that's what they want us to work. But inevitably, they'll make that decision for us. Uh, on the no-knock raid bill, that's arguably the strongest police reform bill that has been passed in the U.S. in the last couple of years since all this stuff's been on fire. And we did it in Tennessee, and we did it with a, a, out of 132 possible votes. It was, I think it was 123 yes votes, and So and zero no votes. The others just didn't vote or abstained or wasn't, weren't present or whatever. So 
The bill was actually written in tandem with basically every law enforcement agency in the state, police chiefs association, THP, governor's office was involved. A a lot of folks were involved in this. And Tennessee actually, there's a reason Tennessee hasn't been on the news for no-knock raids and stuff like that, like other places have. And the the threshold to get to a no-knock raid in Tennessee was already pretty high. It happens. Uh, and there have been mistakes in Tennessee for sure, um, but it's been at a lesser rate. So essentially, all these groups got together and nailed down best practices that were already going on at a lot of uh, police agencies in the state. And uh, that's what the bill became. And now um, every officer in the state has a duty to report use of excessive force. They have a duty to intervene in the use of excessive force. Chokeholds are restricted. Firing guns at moving vehicles are restricted. De-escalation training is required. And no more no-knock raids. Uh, so it's it's a really good bill. Uh, I think it's going to do – I think it'll be really good for Tennessee. I think it'll be good to keep Tennessee out of the headlines. And uh, I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't think anybody can disagree with that. A big step in the right direction, realistically. I know that you kind of – said that you guys kind of go after low-hanging fruit, that stuff like basically everyone agrees on that is going to be easy to get past. Why do you think these policies exist if everyone hates them? Like, how did they happen in the first place? <laughs> well, I, I get when I, when I say that everybody's going to support them, I am talking about the constituents, like the, the regular people are going to support them. So uh, something like civil asset forfeiture. Uh, for example, in case the audience is not familiar, criminal asset forfeiture is when you are Pablo Escobar and you finally get arrested and they convict you of selling drugs and they take away your mansion and your classic cars and they auction that stuff off and they put that money back into the police force of the community in some way. That's criminal asset forfeiture. Okay. Civil asset forfeiture is the exact same thing, except they never have to charge you with a crime, much less convict you. They can just say, you got a thousand bucks. Well, we think you're going to go buy drugs with that thousand bucks. So we're going to confiscate that thousand bucks and it's ours now. And you can come and fight for it if you want to. That's how it works. They never have to do anything to you. Okay. So there are a lot of representatives that think that that's a very needed income stream for their police departments. However, I can't imagine a world where if you could talk to 100% of the people in Tennessee, that 98.9% of the people in Tennessee would not say, what do you mean the government can take my stuff and never charge me with anything? So, and that's what I mean. We can go into any district in this state and say, this is the way the law works right now. Your guy needs to support uh, this change. And the constituents are going to agree with us. Uh, give you another example. Blighted properties. I mentioned this earlier. We In Tennessee, if you live in a neighborhood that has 100 homes in it or more, uh, just pulling a number out, it's got 100 houses in it, and there's one house in that neighborhood that is deemed blighted, unlivable, okay? The city or the county or the state says that this house is uninhabitable. They can use eminent domain on the entire neighborhood. 
because of the one house. What district am I going to go into and say, did you know the government can take your property because two blocks over there's a blighted house? Do you think that's okay? Again, politicians have argued in support of these current status quo. And we've got it on videotape now. So, but regular people understand what that is. And they're not, that, that's not something people are going to stand for. There's a lot there. And there's so many of those things. So many of those things that you get broad consensus on from constituents, but they don't get attention in the legislature. And that's the thing. So we're trying to call these items to the attention of the legislature and hope that they will do the right thing. Some of it should be low hanging fruit and very easy to do, but you know, maybe not. We'll see. We'll just have to see. Cool. And yeah, then the other thing I wanted to ask about is do you have, or do you plan on putting in place any kind of analysis after the fact to determine the things that you've been able to accomplish if they were effective or if like, you know, the, they're obviously corrupt laws and the politicians like them for some reason, and maybe they'll find another way to work around it. Even if you get what you want passed through. Yeah. Um, we, we will. And actually, um, I, I didn't mention this earlier, uh, but, um, there, there's a situation that just occurred to me for whatever reason, uh, on a bill that we passed last year that we are going to have to pay attention to that I'm trying to get additional information on right now. So one of the bills that we got through last year was about civil asset forfeiture and the way the, the law worked prior to passing this bill is the agency that confiscated your property was responsible for reimbursing legal expenses at 25% of the property up to $3,500, I think is what it was. Okay. The problem with that is you know, in Tennessee, the average seizure is about 2,600, 2,800 bucks. So that means you're getting about 500 bucks for your legal defense, which means you're not getting any legal defense. But what we did was we got we got a bill passed that got rid of the 25% language and moved the cap up to $10,000. So now the the theory is the police will have to think twice if they're confiscating something that's $2,800 because they could be on the hook for $10,000 in legal expenses. However, I talked to a lawyer uh, shoot, three days ago, I guess, um, who I was referred to by a judge who handles a, a lot of civil asset forfeiture cases, apparently. And um, he told me that he had never been reimbursed ever. And he didn't know anybody that had ever been reimbursed ever. And that the reason that nobody gets reimbursed is because of loopholes in the current law. So, to your question, yeah, we're always looking to try to make sure the effects of our bills have the desired effect. And, you know, while we're not necessarily an agency that's going to be doing the studies themselves, we have some outlets where we might be able to ask that a study get conducted by somebody, university, locally, or something like that. And again, we will constantly follow up to try to identify new problems or whatever we have to do. So yeah, now we're trying to figure out if in fact anybody has ever been reimbursed by the uh, THP because of a civil asset forfeiture case. So that'll be interesting to find out. I'm kind of hoping the answer is no, uh, because that will just be a great talking point. And they can only be reimbursed 
like if if they apparently if they aren't reimbursed and they would like to contest that uh, there's only one place in the whole state that can go and it has to be Davidson County. Uh, so no matter where you live as a lawyer, if you handle a civil asset forfeiture case in Bristol, Tennessee, and uh, you want to get reimbursed and they tell you no and you want to appeal it, you have to drive six hours to appeal it. Then you'll probably lose. Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> Sounds like government really wants to hold on to that money. Well, you said something earlier about the uh, the revenue that, that the politicians and government brings in for these stupid laws. and. I've said a lot too that it feels like actually I don't it doesn't even feel like it's a fact we are nothing more than a revenue source for the government. Yeah, I mean, in large part that's one hundred percent the case. It's kind of like the Matrix, except for that it's not we're not batteries, we're small bank accounts. Yeah. <laughs> so, but people don't recognize that, which is so strange to me. How how can you not see that? And be like, wait a second, something's wrong here. I mean, you're a product of your environment. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it sometimes things have become so commonplace that they're simply accepted as truths when they're not. Have you seen? Uh, it, it's been interesting to watch, especially with the with the COVID stuff. How people are leaving certain states to move to another state. Have you seen that much in Tennessee? I, I heard, I read something the other day that, that Tennessee's population is growing because people are trying to get away from California and New York, or the, the you know the north northwest corner of the of this, the country. Have you seen that much in Tennessee? Or I, I, I've I've read some of those same articles for sure. Um, which hopefully these people are leaving those places and uh, not looking to replicate the same things that they ran away from. Uh, and generally I'm one that thinks that that's the case. I don't think that most people run away from things that are awful and then try to reimplement things that are awful in the new place. But you know, it's hard to convince some groups of that for sure. <laughs> well, it's just, it's, it's fun for me to watch because I got family and friends in Arkansas, and I will never live in that state again unless – maybe I shouldn't say never. But I'm happy to live in Tennessee because of – it's different here. It's different because I come from a cons conservative background, and as much as I despise how conservatives act, I despise how the liberals act even more. If that, does that make sense? And you see a lot of people like they're, they're moving from California to go to Texas, but they're moving to cities like big cities like uh, Dallas and Austin, super liberal towns. But if you get on the outside of, of, of Dallas and Austin, the rest of Texas is like, whoa, <laughs> hang on a second. You're not doing that garbage here as well. And it's, like, it's the same thing with Memphis. When I, when I left Shelby County to move to Fayette County, it was on purpose. When all this COVID stuff started, I got a, a somebody tagged me in something on Facebook about how the city of Memphis, their health department was going to require people to give them their address if they went to a restaurant to eat so they could track you, so they could track where you've been. I'm like, uh-uh, Craig ain't doing that. And I got on the, the next, that that afternoon, I started, I, I, I talked to two different realtors. I said, get me out of Shelby County. That's all I want to do. And that's the way I see a lot of people leaving these states to 
get to a, a different area of this country because they don't want to be a part of that garbage. You know, Memphis is Memphis is Memphis. Memphis has got a lot of cool things about it, but it's still Memphis. And a lot of the people that live in Memphis have the same ideal that a lot of these people that leave California or, or live in California or New York, and they, they want to hold on to that stuff. Somebody told me before I moved here, he goes, you do understand that Tennessee is a cool state, but Memphis is a black eye <laughs> on that state. And there was a time when Memphis was talking about seceding from the state of Tennessee and the rest of Tennessee is like, adios, have a ball. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I, I think that, I think we get hung up you know, I, I'm I'm a bit. I, I I believe that divide and conquer is a very effective strategy that has been used over and over again for decades, if not centuries. It's become very commonplace, and I, I feel like we don't do a good job of just focusing on we 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 focus on differences between. Uh, liberals and conservatives, whatever those two words mean, but we don't do a lot of focusing on the similarities. Uh, and I think that the that it's at your own peril that you underestimate the similarities between those two. Again, whatever those two words mean, the policies that are prescribed and enacted from those two groups, principally, are very very similar. I, I mean, it, it reminds me of a conversation I had with somebody the other night and she's progressive, but she hates Joe Biden. And we're at odds with each other as far as the vaccines go. But the more we talked, the more we realized that we agree on a lot of things. And I think you're right. I said, I think if we just focus on what we agree on, all that other stuff will work itself out. Do you think that liberals would be inclined to enact policy that controls my behavior in some way, shape, form, or fashion. The principle behind the the governing actions of the liberals are, we know what's best for this country, so we're going to mandate these certain things. Okay? But it's the same with conservatives, too. They believe the exact same thing. <laughs> that was going to be – but I, what's the difference between that and conser- and the conservative thought? We, we Both groups are seeking to gain power, to use government, to shape the culture in the way that they think the culture should be shaped. You're right. So what's the difference? <laughs> It's it's just it's just the view of what the culture should look like, but the bottom line is neither one of them should be engaged in shaping this culture. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 not rocket surgery. I mean, we I, I remember I feel like I was probably in my late teens and early twenties. Um, they used to talk about um, I can't think of the word. It's it's like terraforming the culture. Is, is what it was. But that's not the word I'm looking for. Somebody out there that's going to be listening to this that's old is going to be like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. But, you know, we used to complain that there was policy directed at shaping the culture. And now 80% of the policy prescriptions from both policy platforms are about shaping the culture. Give me somebody that wants me to be me and wants to accept me for me. 
give me somebody like that. I'll be a happy camper. What I want to do is, uh, when this episode airs, it's going to be the first part of 2022. So let us know what y'all have on the agenda as far as uh, the session when, when, when they when they meet each other. It, I think it's what you said, the second week of, of January, January, right? Yeah, that's correct. What do you guys have planned for that? We are planning to open the voting uh, seven days before the session opens. Uh, and close the voting the day that session opens. Uh, so there'd be a seven day window for all of our members to complete their ballot that they would get in their email. So if you would like to become a member and tell us what your priorities are and what matters most to you, uh, we would appreciate that very much and be happy to get to work for you. Again, check out the site. As I mentioned before, we're the only organization out there that wants the Bernie Sanders model for raising money. Because think about it. I'm not in a position where a guy can come up to me and say, hey, I got a hundred grand for you if you work this particular piece of policy. Because the way our organization works, it has to go through the members. And if the members want us to work it, then we work it. So I can't make that promise to somebody that comes to me with $100,000. I need 20,000 Tennesseans that are members of this organization and steering this ship. Uh, and that will make us a force to be reckoned with, you know. But there's no organization out there that asks the members to steer the ship. There's no organization out there that says, you don't have to be bought into our entire agenda. You can be bought into any one piece of it and you can contribute to that one piece. And there's no other organization out there that's not playing favorites with one side or the other. I, I like the model. So is this something that you're seeing other states do or, or other organizations do, or is it just, are you familiar with them? Because the reason I ask is because if, if people listen to this show, obviously in other states other than Tennessee that might be interested in starting something like this that are kind of on the fence about what the Bad Road Project is about. Maybe they could reach out. Can they reach out to you to kind of get some uh, information to so how they could start something similar to what For All Tennessee is about? Absolutely. I mean, here's the thing, okay? Um, I don't know of any organization that operates similarly to the way that we do. If somebody is aware of another organization out there that operates similar to me or similar to us, I would be very interested to know because there might be some best practices there that we would be interested in picking up. So yeah, if if that happens, please let me know. Um, As far as putting more of this out there in other places, uh, we are actually incorporated as a nonprofit called For All Incorporated. Our intention is to prove that this model can work here in Tennessee and then open up chapters in additional states, hopefully getting to the federal government at some point. And then we have, you know, For All Texas and For All South Carolina and For All Delaware and For All America, you know, Um, and continue to do the same thing where we're just whittling away at at the laws that have encroached on our individual freedoms. So uh, my plea to anyone that would like to see this in their state would be become a member, engage with us, talk to us. It doesn't matter if you're in Tennessee. If you want to see us succeed and uh, spread this idea, uh, we need all the help we can get.
So, and if you want to try to get something off the ground to this, or you want to open up a chapter of for all in your state, something like that. Yes, absolutely. Reach out to me. Uh, we, we want to have those conversations. I don't know that we're a hundred percent ready to franchise it out just yet, but, uh, that day's coming for sure. because uh, we, we, what state doesn't need this? In what state do you find people that can think of nothing that they think they should be free to do that the current the current law prohibits them from doing, or they, they can think of nothing that the government is doing that it shouldn't be doing? It's everywhere. Everybody everybody wants this. Tell the listeners where they can find you if they are interested to learn more. Foralltn.org is the website or info at for all email that you'll find on the page where you can email the, us directly that goes straight to my email and uh, my executive director's email. So we will see it and we will respond social media for all Tennessee, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. I think they are trying to get a TikTok up, but we haven't got TikTok yet, but I would, I would highly encourage you to follow us on our social media. Uh, again, we're dropping issues every day, uh, every weekday, I should say, and, you know, calling attention to something new that uh, you may or may not knew was a thing in Tennessee and uh, asking you if you think it's important. And we'd really appreciate you weighing in on those things. Uh, We want to take in the general public's opinions, even if they're not, you know, binding in the same way that the member vote is. Um, You know, we want to be we want to know what people want and we want to try to give that to them. I started following y'all on Facebook, you know, but mainly because I live in Tennessee and I'm interested. I mean, I'm interested to know what's going on. And regardless of my, my opinion on the state, I still (laughs) live in Tennessee. So it still affects me directly in some fashion. And like I said earlier, it's, we're seeing a lot with the COVID stuff and, so I'm really interested to know what they're, what they're doing. And I, I appreciate you uh, keeping in touch with me and let me know what's, what's going on. And especially with the COVID stuff, it's been so helpful with talking to my coworkers who have questions. I had a guy walk up to me the other day. He said, why is, why are they still pushing this? And they showed me this, this article and it was governor Lee signed this law. It's a law. <laughs> he said, why are they still pushing this? I said, I don't know, man. I don't know why they're pushing it. They they can't do it anymore. It, it is what it is. And so I just I appreciate you, man. I appreciate the work you're doing. And uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. You know, but we'll, we'll change the minds along the way. Hopefully, Abby, thank you so much for being my new co-host. I'm super excited about this new dynamic that Abby is bringing to the show, and I think the listeners are going to love love this new dynamic. So yeah, thanks so much, and thanks for coming on, Justin. It's definitely it's a different perspective than we usually have on the show. So I, I definitely appreciate that. I really appreciate you guys having me on, uh, knowing that it would be a little different perspective and a little outside the uh, the norm there. Well, if we catch any heat for this episode, I'm going to direct all their messages to Justin Cornette <laughs> at forallTennessee.org. If you That's have it. a problem Justin, with this episode. <laughs> Justin at forallTN.org. Yeah. That's Send him a message. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> all right, buddy. I'm going to let you get out of here. Abby, thank you so much, and we will talk soon. Thanks. 
Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. <laughs>